up, everybody? Welcome to Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Superbook Sports and Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. Here we are high atop Ball Arena after an exhilarating Game 1 of the Stanley Cup Final. Avalanche scored three goals in the first period, then zero in the second, zero in the third, and get the goal that matters the most, the overtime goal, really quickly into overtime there. Arif, I guess, how are you feeling about that overtime game and I guess the early start compared to the, the last two periods there? I, that, that was a great game. That was everything you want a Stanley Cup final to be. We've been talking about this this matchup for a couple of weeks now, hoping that this is what you get, the battle of heavyweights, the two juggernauts in the NHL, and they delivered. The Avalanche won the first period. The Lightning won the second period. Neither team scored in the third, but the Avalanche shut her down defensively in the third. They get a late power play. It stretches into overtime. They fail to score on that, but they get the game winner shortly after that. That was everything you wanted a, a playoff game, a Stanley Cup final game, I should say, to be. And, and the Avalanche came out on top. Yeah, let's get into the guys that mattered the most. I guess the guys that really brought their A game tonight. And I, I want to start with Captain Gabe Landeskog, right? I said it in our preview that he was going to be a game breaker just based off what we've seen from him in the past. And the goal he scored tonight was the epitome of a Gabe Landeskog in the playoffs goal, right? Just crashing the net hard, finding a loose puck. and Those greasy, really greasy goals. Those greasy goals. And post game, he was talking about it. He said, yeah, Miko got a good shot on and... I just had to clean up the rebound, and I almost missed it, which he did. Like, he went into the net with the puck. It was uh, it was quite the play, but, I mean, who else but Gabe Landeskog? The guy's been here for so long, 11 years almost, since his draft day here coming up in a couple of weeks, the 11-year anniversary of that. There was no better guy to start to start it up than Gabe Landeskog, and, and, you know, the Avalanche just carried it from there with that momentum in the first. Yeah, with that Val Nachushkin, right? I mean, we've been watching this guy blossom all year long, and, he suddenly went from a, a guy that was a third-line guy who's growing in your lineup to Jared Bednar tonight called him an X-factor, right? So I think that was a pretty wild term to use for a guy like Val Nachushkin. I mean, you got to exactly credit what he was. You got to credit the guy that asked the question and literally asked him. Who cares if Val Nachushkin is an X-factor? So he just repeated the word. I mean, let's let's put it this way, JJ. 2021-22 season, death. Taxes and Arif Dean asking Jared Bednar a question about Valerie Nachushkin. I mean, what what better, more consistent thing? All the national media is like, wow, good question. All the local media is like, eye rolls. Arif's asking another question about <laughs> I know Nichushkin. I eye rolled, that's for sure. But like, what an X factor. And, you know, the mm-hmm. purpose of, of, of you know, not, not just the game that Val had, but the ability for him to start on that top line with Landeskog and McKinnon. Then the Avalanche started putting Rantanen up there and letting that, you know, the, the big three of 92, 29, and 96 play some shifts together. All right, so let's take Val, put him on the second line with Comfort and Burakovsky, and he goes out there and scores a goal on that line. He just, wherever you put him, he succeeds. He was successful on a line last year with Tyson Jost as a center. He was successful this year with Nazem Kadri. He was successful this year with Nathan McKinnon. You put him on a line with JT Comfort. He, he makes a nice pass to Andre Burakovsky, cleans up the game-winning goal. Just, just an X factor of a player for the Avalanche, and I think him and Berkey are going to be those two guys that you rely on most. Val Nachushkin even throws some minutes in there on the penalty kill. Um, so obviously just shows his uh, value right there alone. But the fact that he's in on the penalty kill and how successful the penalty kill was today, he's in on a power play. The power play was successful today. And, of course, he's in on five-on-five five plays, which was also successful. So he has had a hand in pretty much everything they did Anything well tonight. he touches turns to gold. 
without Cogliano, the Avalanche had to shift their uh, power play a little bit because it usually used to start with Helm and Cogliano and then Lekkonen comes out with Nachushkin. Well, instead they were doing Helm with Nachushkin and then Lekkonen would come out with O'Connor and then one of Helm or Nachushkin would come out for the third shift with Nico Sturm and you saw them kind of alternating. So Jared has his guys that he relies on and on the PK it's now Valeri Nachushkin without Cogliano. On the power play it's Valeri Nachushkin. Five on five on the top line, on the second line. It's once again Valeri Nachushkin. I keep saying his first name differently. I believe it is Valeri, not Valerie. But uh, just go with Val. Val. Big old Val. <laughs> Big old Val. That's that's the guy that we're going to go with. The choo-choo trainer, whatever the hell he and Mosier call him. But anything he does, he's just a well-rounded player, and anything he does just turns to gold. The penalty kill was pivotal, too, tonight, right? I mean, we can't underestimate and underappreciate uh, how much of a factor that was in tonight's victory because Tampa Bay was snapping it around. Kucherov is extremely dangerous, especially with a man, a man advantage there. And the Avalanche were able to shut him down. Darcy Kemper was able to shut him down. And uh, it, it's what won them the game because had they not been able to stop Tampa Bay from scoring on the power play, I think things would have gotten out of hand. But zero goals on the power play for, for the dangerous Tampa Bay Lightning unit. And it seemed like they... They couldn't really generate much on their on their second or third opportunities. They had some opportunities on the first one, and uh, we saw Kemper have to make some big saves. And then the Avalanche would, you know, Tempe would cycle. They'd get some opportunities, and then the puck gets cleared, and you kind of get that cheer from the crowd of like, oh, you thank God, good job. But the second and third power plays were very uneventful. I believe it was the second one specifically. Tampa Bay didn't get any shots on goal. It was um, just an atrocious showing by the Lightning, or if you want to look at it from the other way, just an excellent showing by the Avalanche. And those are the types of moments you need to have. The Avs' PK has struggled in the playoffs. They haven't been as solid as you want them to be. And, I mean, that's been the story of the entire regular season. But in Game 1 of the Stanley Cup Final, four wins away from the Stanley Cup, you needed the power play, the PK to step up tonight. Six minutes of Tampa Bay Lightning power play, and we saw the way they were buzzing that puck around. They had nothing from it, nothing to show from it. And now because of that, the Avs are three wins from the Stanley Cup. Indeed. And then the fourth guy I think we really got to touch on, Andre Burakovsky, of course, gets that OT winner. But I think he was buzzing throughout the game, right? I remember in the first period there was a moment where he was just on another level. Uh, he had another gear that he had found that I don't think I'd seen from him in a really long time. I mean, obviously Stanley Cup final gets you up a little bit more, but he was moving his legs and moving at a speed that I think I, I've missed from Andre Burakovsky, and you can say that, that about his entire game tonight, right? He just played at a level that everybody had been yearning from him pretty much all playoffs. Burakovsky's had some big games with the Washington Capitals against Andre Vasilevsky, and you saw him do that again. And what I love about the game that he brought today, this is a guy that was healthy scratch when the playoffs started. He comes into the lineup, he gets banged up, he's in and out, he's in the top six, he's in the bottom six, he's healthy scratched, he's back in. And now suddenly, with the injury to Nazem Kadri, you need Andre Burakovsky to be a top six winger. You need him to be the guy that he's been for three seasons, and you need him to be, you know, what I said about Val Nichushkin, you need him to be an X-factor as well. And in game one of the Stanley Cup final, he was an X-factor. I actually had somebody was reaching out to me and saying that Burakovsky has to be the difference maker. Because of Kadri's injury, because of the goal-scoring prowess that Burakovsky has, and because of the fact that even when Kadri returns, he's not going to be able to shoot the puck that he, the way that he could before the injury to his thumb, that Burakovsky has to be the one to step up 
And I kind of made a joke that if the series is relying on Andre Burakovsky, that's a boring series because of all the big star names you have playing on both sides. If Burakovsky is the one you got to rely on, something's going on. But what we saw tonight was all the stars having a great game, but Burakovsky shining when, when, when that mattered most. And we can't neglect the fact that he is the guy on this team with the cup already, right? He's been there. He's done it. He's seen what it takes. And while you know maybe he didn't have the biggest impact in the lineup uh, on that Washington Capitals team, he still had an impact. And he still saw what others around him did and what it took to win. So while I, while I think you know we kind of underestimate what he brings on, in that regard, he still brings something that I think is very valuable in just simply knowing and having been through it all. Yeah, and it's kind of unique to look at the guys that the Avalanche have that have won cups because Darren Helm is someone that's also won a cup, but that was what? We're in 2022, 13 years ago. No, 14 years ago, in 2008. He won it in 2008 at the very early parts of his career where, you know, he was a young up-and-coming bottom six guy. So much has gone on, and now he's the older veteran bottom six guy, and he comes out and has a 10, you know, 10 hits tonight, plays a crucial part of the PK, Andre Burakovsky, completely different scenario than Helm because he's not playing the same role he once was. With the Capitals, Burakovsky was not a top six winger. With the Capitals, Burakovsky's career high was 13 goals. But with the Avalanche, he's a different story. He's someone that scores more than 20 goals a season. He's someone that you need to step up in big moments. And he's someone that's going to get the ice time in the top six in those big moments. So for him to bring that experience he has with the Washington Capitals and bring it to a team that relies on him more, that's given him a bigger role, that's elevated his career to, to new heights, and for him to step up in that moment is, is, anything, is everything you could ask for from a guy that has that cup pedigree. A quiet night from the defensive group, right? You, we're used to seeing them contribute. Offensively, that is. Offensively, of course, yeah. Um, we're used to seeing them contribute quite a handful of points. Um, but, yeah, it seemed like they were kind of held out of the offense. Like, credit to John Cooper and their defensive structure because I, I know that's definitely something they game-planned around. But, really, Bowen Byram, um, the only one with any points from the defensive group. I believe so. I believe that's it. And um, could, we, could, we, could we just take a second to talk about Bo Byram's game? Yeah, 100%, please. He was unreal. He played 22 minutes. He has been elevated to that Sam Gerrard role. And Sam Gerrard's at home looking at this. I don't know if you uh, you saw Tyson Berry's uh, pre-game, before-game one interview of Morning Skate. He said, the first time that I saw Kale McCarr step on the ice, and he made a joke about it. He went, first time I saw Kale McCarr step on the ice when he came out of uh, college and joined us in that Calgary series, I saw him and I was like, oh boy, I'm in trouble. He knew he was gone. And obviously it's a different scenario because Sam Gerrard's under contract for a long time. But Sam Gerrard's sitting at home, or not sitting at home, he's here in the arena obviously watching this game at the rink, watching Bowen Byram going, this dude's literally taking my job. This isn't a position where it's like, oh, we have to replace him with somebody who can't do it as well. Bo is literally doing what Gerrard used to do in the sense where you rely on him to do his thing with you know the older veteran. Gerrard used to play with Eric Johnson. Now Bo's playing with Eric Johnson. And that you have those offensive shifts. What do you do? You trot out Kill McCarr and Sam Gerrard. And what's Jared done tonight over and over again? He kept trotting out Kale McCarr and Bowen Byram and playing them together so many times, unlike anything I've seen him use in terms of having Bo Byram play that much, that I think at one point I even turned to you and I said, is, is Devontae's hurt? And then I realized that he's not hurt. He was on the bench. I had to check with a, you know, check with my phone camera to make sure that he was there. And lo and behold, it was just the trust that Jared now has in Bo to play him more and more to the point where he played over 22 and a half minutes 
Kel McCarr led the way with you know almost 29, and then you had Devontae's at 25 and a half, and then Bo at 22 and a half. The next three guys were 16, 14, and 12, and that's Manson and Johnson and Johnson. So Bowen Byram has elevated himself to new heights to the point where even if Sam Gerrard was healthy, I don't know if he would have gotten this kind of a position, but that's your top four now. Eric Johnson and, and Josh Manson and Jack Johnson are below are lower on the totem pole than Bowen Byram, and that's not something you could have said even a round ago or two rounds ago. Yeah, obviously the trust in Bo is at an all-time high, but I think there's a little bit of distrust in Eric Johnson too. I think you look at that first goal by Tampa Bay, you could definitely point at Eric Johnson uh, and his poor defense there. You could point a little bit at Darcy Kemper, a little bit at miscommunication between the two, but um, you're exactly right. you got to earn the spots, and I think right at this point right now, Jared Bednar is way more comfortable with having Bo Byram on the ice, the young, ripe defenseman, than a veteran who's been there, seen it all, and loves to lay on the ice, and Eric Johnson. Yeah, loves to lay on the ice. I've seen I've seen Eric Johnson do that slide in seasons where the Avalanche were fighting for the number one overall pick. It's effective. I'm not knocking yeah. it for it. <laughs> it's just it's crazy to see the evolution. I'm sorry, I'm having a little bit of a cough attack here, but it's crazy to see that evolution of him making those sliding plays on teams that were fighting for first overall, and now he's making those sliding plays on a team fighting for best in the world and Stanley Cup champion. But Bowen Byram just plays such a well-rounded and, and sound defensive game, and he pitches in offensively. He can move the puck well. First couple weeks of the season, the dude was a stud. He was a top power play quarterback because Kel McCarr was having a tough start to the season. Hilarious to say that, given the way that Kel McCarr's season unfolded. But this is a guy that, you know, pre-concussion issues after that hit from Bo Horvat um, was looking like a stud in the making. And then when he came back from his injury issues in, in I want to say it was March, uh, he just wasn't the same guy. It took him a few months or a couple months or so to really get his game back to a level where he can trust himself on the ice and Jared can trust his game. And here we are in the Stanley Cup final. It has clicked at the right time. And, and this is the exact type of performance the Avalanche need from this guy, given the injury to Sam Gerrard in the second round and given the fact that you're playing a Tampa Bay team as dangerous as they are. Yeah, that's exactly what you said about Andre Burakovsky and Nazem Kadri too, right? So what a parallel there. Next man up. Next, next man, man up. up. Bowen Byram needs to step up. He does. Andre Burakovsky needs to step that's up. Why, he does. That's why I, I asked Laniscog about that, and he, he gave a really good answer about that. It's all season. It's been next man up. Without Cogliano, who's going to step up on the PK? Well, it's Nachushkin. It's Nico Sturm. Nico Sturm had a hell of a game. You're not going to see it on the score sheet. Dude was great. He was great. And then... On defense, Sam Gerrard goes down. Bowen Byram steps up. I mean, think of where this team would be if Bowen Byram didn't return from his concussion issues in March. Think of where they would be. It would be Kale and, and Devon, and then it would be some kind of a combination of Ryan Murray, Jack Johnson, Eric Johnson, and Josh Manson. And, I mean, no disrespect to those guys, the Tampa Bay's bottom four would eat you up. Ryan McDonough and Eric Chernak, Mikhail Sergachev on the third pair, they would eat you up. So just having that guy in Bowen Byram changes everything. Yeah, I mean, go back to the beginning of playoffs. I think Jared Bednar was still at a point where he wasn't fully trusting Bowen Byram with minutes. He wasn't fully uh, seeing that Bowen Byram was at the top of his game. And he kept saying, though, Bowen Byram's getting better every game. Bowen Byram's getting every, better every game. And now I feel like Bowen Byram's at a point where you don't necessarily have to critique him so hard because he's, he's arrived, he's doing his job, and handling the responsibilities accordingly. And... The funny thing is that we're talking about Bo this much. This is the start of his career. He's still going to get better. It's very reminiscent to Cal McCarr stepping in in that Calgary series and being a difference maker. That's what we're seeing from Bo and Byram here in the Stanley Cup final. And we've still got 
years to go with this guy. Absolutely, absolutely. Let me take a second to let you know about our friends over at Superbook Sports. Summer is here, and there's no better time to make your first bet with Superbook Sports. Along with its usual vast betting menu, Superbook already has a lineup for every pro football game this fall, even though hockey is still going on. Plus, when you make your first deposit on the Superbook app or sign up at Superbook.com, they will match 100% of your money up to $500. It's never too early to start thinking about football at Superbook Sports, and it's not too late to start thinking about hockey. Place your bet and start winning today. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Arif, coming into this game, the question for everyone, of course, was is 10 days of rest way too long then they come out in the first period handle things the way they do and it was the second and third where things kind of fell off now you can credit that to tampa bay adjusting getting used to what the avalanche were throwing at them after not seeing it too much but i guess what's your analysis of that that first period bump and then that second and third period kind of slide so eight days off between game or sorry eight full days off nine days between games um Everything's a blur now because I've done so many radio hits and we did the podcast a couple of days ago. I don't remember where I said this, but the rest versus rust conversation, the reason why I wasn't giving it much thought during these last this last week when everybody wanted to talk about it was because it's such a different case now with the avalanche. 24 months ago, you want to talk about rest versus rust? Yes, I'll have that conversation. But we've seen the avalanche prove time and time again that the long layoffs does not affect them. They were the only team with two COVID pauses in the 2021 regular season, and they came back strong both times. They swept the St. Louis Blues. Vegas needed seven games to, Min- to beat Minnesota. They came out in game one against Vegas, crushed them. They swept the Nashville Predators. St. Louis needed six games against Minnesota. Colorado came out in game one against St. Louis. I think it was an overtime game, but they dominated it. They had a great game there. And now here we are again. The Avalanche have another long layover, or layoff, I should say. <laughs> layover is what you're going to have to deal with before we go to Tampa Bay. <laughs> um, they had another long layoff. <laughs> Just a funny joke, funny guy. <laughs> I had to deal, deal with it with Edmonton. It was a hor- horrifying experience. But they had a long layoff. Tampa Bay comes off a six-game series. They beat them in game one. Now, the, here's the thing that I think that helps the Avalanche most with that rest versus rusting is – if you're the St. Louis Blues, you're one of those hard, physical teams that plays a very tough game, a long layoff could help you because you can't mimic what it means to play a physical game. But when you're a team like the Avalanche that uses their legs and the speed that they have, I mean, I'm no hockey expert. No, you're not. <laughs> not at all. I didn't play <laughs> the sport. I don't know anything about the or not anything, but I don't know much about the X's and O's. I'm by no means an expert. But I do know that if you're a team that relies on speed – and relies on your legs, and you're talking to run right air, if I love to run, the long layoff does nothing but good things for you. So when you're coming off of a long layoff for a team that skates like that, well, you're coming out and you're seeing Nathan McKinnon and Kel McCarr doing what they were doing tonight, just dipsy doodling past everybody and doing their thing. So that's why I think that the rest versus rust conversation with the Avalanche, you got to wash it away. This is the fifth or sixth time. I just listed all the examples. Over the last 24 months that this team has come back time and time again after long layoffs and said, we're speedy, we're fast. We gave our legs a rest and we came out and played the way that we played. Yeah, I think if you go to past playoffs and you, you know, maybe interview former 
teams that were in the final together, they would have killed for an eight, nine day rest, right? Because at this point in the playoffs, your body is hurting. We heard when the uh, Edmonton series was over and the Avs had their first practice and a couple guys were missing, we heard how there was a handful more than we realized that uh, were nursing some injuries. Not to be, I mean, that's not surprising at all because again, it's the NHL playoffs. But we've also heard a couple times from John Cooper in these last couple days about how wild it is that they don't really see Colorado too often, right? Video and scouting can only do so much for you. Once you get on the ice, you kind of get to learn a little bit more about the team and what they're throwing at you. And I think that's what we saw in the first period. I expect the second period not to have seven goals. I think we'll have more of a four, three, four, five goal. I'll take the under is what I'm saying in game two because that was a feeling out game, it felt like, especially that first period. Tampa Bay. Leaky goals. Leaky goals from from Vasilevsky, mm -hmm. and I don't want to call it a leaky goal from Kemper because it's not like it was a leaky shot that beat him, but just a poor miscommunication. The three first, the first three goals of the game were all just bad goals by the goalies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and quick adjustments, right? That was one of your things that you, you pointed out as really what makes Tampa Bay so dangerous is their ability to adjust, and we saw it in the snap of a finger. From the yep. first period to the second period, those was two different teams uh, that we saw in Tampa Bay, and um, I'm excited to see what adjustments and what this game looks like uh, on Saturday. But again, I think it's going to be a little bit more of a defensive. It's going to look just like that third period. Yeah, and and uh, Jared Bednar. I mean, let's let's not take let's let's not take credit away from what he did in that third period to shut down the Tampa Bay Lightning. Because while the Avalanche kept the Lightning to get this, Tampa Bay scored their third goal of the game was about six and a half minutes left in the second period. So let's add it up: six and a half plus one and a half of overtime, that's eight minutes, plus the entire third period. In those 28 minutes from when Tampa Bay tied it up at 3-3 three to three, until the end of the game, they had a grand total of eight shots. Eight. That's it. Eight shots in 28 minutes. That's holding the Tampa Bay Lightning to less than 20 shots in a 60-minute stretch. You don't do that to that team. So while Tampa Bay Lightning was tightening things up, while the Tampa Bay Lightning were having their goalie pick up his game and really settle in Andre Vasilevsky, the Avalanche were shutting it down defensively. So, while, while also pushing on the gas. Exactly, while also pushing on the gas offensively because we saw them have quite a few nice plays there. Nathan McKinnon made Eric Chernak look silly and then tried to beat the goalie five-hole. Couldn't get the goalie. Couldn't get it. I think he shot it right into Vasilevsky's chest on an opportunity uh, where they could have uh, where they could have won it in regulation. Patrick Maroon, silly penalty to take. Just a brutal delay of game. But credit the Avalanche's forecheck for forcing him to kind of panic in a second there and, and, and send the puck right into the seventh throw of section 148 or whatever the hell it was. So um, the Avalanche adjusted well after the 3-3 three to three goal. And I think what we're going to see from Jared Bednar is something that we saw him do in the Edmonton series and something that we saw him learn from the St. Louis series, that even coming off of a victory, you got to make adjustments. And you know he's going to make those adjustments here because you're not going to get two goals past Vasilevsky that are leaky like that in the first period again. And if you do, count your blessings because that's twice now. But without those two leaky goals and then without a five-on-three power play against the, uh, late in the first period, which you can't rely on getting a five-on-three every day, well, all that leaves is the Burakovsky goal. But the Burakovsky goal happened in overtime, and without those first three, you're not in overtime. So you know you're going to have to make adjustments to beat this team again. I like that comparison. That third period really did feel a lot like the St. Louis series where uh, Tampa Bay was holding them off, not creating much offensively, but holding them off, holding them off, holding them off. And at the end of the day, the offense was too much for them to keep yeah. at bay. I think, you know, you look at that five-on-three goal that the Avalanche scored. I mean, I remember years back 
in Avs Twitter how it was a common running joke that five they on threes. They never do it. The Avs never score on five on threes. Well, I feel like they've scored a, a few times this season, and to do it in a Stanley Cup final when your team needs it the most, I think that says a lot about what they're doing. You should be able to score on a five on three, um, especially with the personnel you have on that power play unit. Yeah, absolutely. And and Nathan McKinnon didn't get a, didn't get a goal today, but we saw the way he was moving the puck. Kale McCarr didn't get a goal today. We saw the way he was moving the puck. Those two guys, every single time they touch the puck, especially on the power play, is a dangerous opportunity. Uh, they kind of fumbled it a few times, but I think that was the jitters and nerves yeah, of the game. Yeah, first period for sure. There, there was a lot of jitters and nerves there. And, mm -hmm. and, and shout out to Gabe Landeskog. Somebody tweeted this uh, at me when I tweeted his quote about how he was nervous heading into this game pretty much all day. Um, I don't remember who tweeted it, and I don't have it pulled up, but – you know, they said that's great leadership because if the leader can admit that he was nervous, then it's okay for everybody else to admit it. It's fine. It's fine to be nervous. And I forget who said that this morning as Logan well. Logan O'Connor. It's fine to be nervous. It's 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 you know it's it's part of the emotion and part of the human element of of, of being, you know, at the stage of, of your career, kind of playing for all the marbles here. And you know, I like we're sitting up here, we're talking about this. I still can't believe it's fucking June fifteenth. We're talking about a Stanley Cup final. Like, we are here doing a podcast about a Stanley Cup final because these guys earned that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the energy's good. The mindset's good. Um, and just a couple more wins, and, and you're there. But I still feel like there's a long way to go, right? This Tampa Bay team is no pushover. No, and absolutely We're not. far from sweeping these guys like uh, we saw in Edmonton. Yeah, you got to go 500 over six games to win a Stanley Cup or better. Last thing I wanted to touch on was the absence of Nazem Kadri. <laughs> You brought it up how Andre Burakovsky filled the void well, but would you say that the Avalanche missed him tonight? And uh, you know, I guess, yeah. Let's just let's just go with that. Do you feel like they missed him despite the win? If the Avalanche wants seven nothing, they still miss Nazem Kadri, because Nazem Kadri in your lineup is a better team than Nazem Kadri out of your lineup, and that's the reality of it. So, um, I know I said Nico Sturm had an exceptional game today, playing his energy role. But if Nazem Kadri's in the lineup, well, JT Comfort can play that energy role. Darren Helm's not a third-line center. He's a, he's a fourth-line center. And now you have Kadri playing on that top-six spot. So, um, yes, they did miss him. Does it mean that they can't win the cup without him? Absolutely not. When he does eventually return, because I think he's going to get in at least for a game, because there's no way he's going to pass up that opportunity. I know he's already kicking himself being one of the guys that loves to give some zinger quotes here and there. I know he's already kicking himself being the guy that had to miss media day, being the guy that had to miss the Clarence Campbell thing at the end of uh, game four in Edmonton. He's missing some really big moments and, you know, what could be a once in a lifetime opportunity to play for the Stanley cup, especially if he walks, God knows where he'll go. But um, there's an opportunity. There's a chance that this is the one time he's there. So I think he will play at some point. And yes, the avalanche did miss him. I think he'll play because of how visible he's been, right? Yep. Usually, I mean, when was the last time we saw Sam Gerrard? <laughs> it's been a, yeah. a couple of weeks, right? In the last two days, I've seen Nazem Kadri twice walking yeah. through the hallways. He's got his wrist wrapped up. With and he's got this confidence and swagger to his walk and mm -hmm. always says hi and bye to you as he's walking right. out. He's got a pretty hard little, I guess, I, I don't want to call it a cast, but a protector, right? A hard plastic over his hand that's wrapped up real tight. And then uh, my favorite part, to answer my question about whether or not I think he was missed, today we got scrum-style interviews with the players again for the first time yeah. since pre-COVID, right? And in that scrum-style, um, I was walking into that room where they were holding it, and Nazem Kadri was leaving, Darcy Kemper was about to enter that room, and they had the friendliest goodbye I had seen in a long time, right? It was like, hey, Nas, 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 bye. Bye, Darcy, right? Just like yeah. a super friendly, I miss you, can't wait till you're back. 
See you later between Kemper and Nas Kadri there. This, so this they, group, they miss man, the guy. This group, this locker room, they're like it's such a silly thing, and I know people roll their eyes at it. But the locker room, the chemistry, that part of the game matters so much, and this year's team has it. Whatever the hell it is, bringing in guys like Darcy Kemper, bringing guys like Cogliano at the deadline and Lekin at the deadline and Manson at the deadline and Helm in the offseason with Kemper, they just have something there. Jack Johnson, and, and, and they make it work so well. Yeah, I think, I think a lot of it is just confidence, right? <laughs> they believe in themselves. They, they believe in their coach. They believe in the structure. I don't want to pull an air of here and talk about the question I asked, but I asked Gabe Landeskog after the game there about how the energy was in that dressing room between the OT, right? Because even Kiel has been such a big part of what they've done this year. But the emotions riding high heading into a Stanley Cup final overtime, it's got to be a little bit tougher to keep it even keel, but it didn't sound like it was. He said that they were confident. They knew that they were uh, going to handle business, and that's exactly what they did. Wild to me that these overtimes that the Avalanche have been a part of don't last too long, right? In the first overtime that we saw in these playoffs, you and I were talking about, why, why not just go the distance? Let's get a couple overtimes if we're going to do an overtime. But now, no, the first one was Kel McCarr, I believe. They're ending them fast. Yeah. They, they say, we don't, we don't need much longer. Kale McCarr in the first round, Josh Manson in the second round. I believe this is the third overtime win, and then they had the loss yep. where Tyler Bozak scored. So that's four OTs, and they're 3-1 and one now. So they collected one overtime point along the way. <laughs> the 13-1-1 one one in the playoffs. Shout out to the Avalanche, right? Go. Yeah, we've been talking about 12-2, uh, well, 13-2 now. I, I want to I wanna make a comment on the fact that, uh, you know, we were just talking about the rest versus rust thing, and I've said this over and over again, and this is something that I'm not even going to pretend I'm the only one that said this. A lot of people have said this. The Stanley Cup playoffs, the toughest thing about the playoffs in this sport compared to other sports, you know, the NFL, you got one game, and it's seven days off, seven days off, sometimes 14 heading into the Super Bowl. The NBA, obviously, is a different kind of physical sport. Granted, it is a physical sport, regardless of what hockey fans want to say. But in the NHL, the way that the Stanley Cup playoffs kind of beats your body up, the first round is always the most exciting and best on-ice product. The second round, it dwindles a little bit more. The third round, it dwindles a little bit more. That by the time you get to the fourth round, it's like a bunch of corpses skating on ice. Just a poor quality of play. Clog in the middle. Yeah, but the energy of the fans and the arena and the excitement and the, the, the anxiousness of the fact that it's a Stanley Cup final kind of makes up for it. But what we've seen from the Avalanche going back to the rest versus rusting, they played their first game on May 13. May 3rd, sorry. I just made a joke about them being 13-1-1. The 13-2 in the playoffs. They've played 15 games. They have played 15 games in 43 days. That's not a lot of hockey. No. That's not a lot of hockey at all. So for them to win the series as fast as they were winning them, for them to sweep in the first round, sweep in the, sec in the third round, and the, the one series that they didn't get a sweep, that they won in six, the other series had won in five, so it started relatively quick. They didn't have to wait for anybody. Nobody had to wait for them. Nobody got the upper hand. Because of all of that, the Avalanche are here in the Stanley Cup Final playing a team that's played a ton of hockey since August 2020, coming out of that COVID pause, and they're feeling damn, pretty damn good to the point where, you know, maybe the on-ice product suffers a little bit, but outside of a block shot from uh, what's-his-face from Cogliano and Evander Kane pretty much burying Nazem Kadri, how many, how many injuries issues have this team had? Abe Kubel blocked a shot, came back. Uh, Burakovsky blocked a shot, came back. Darcy Kemper, you know, took the stick to the eye, but it didn't really hit his eye. They haven't had a lot of physicality in the playoffs. And the reason why that's so important is because we still see Nathan McKinnon and Kel McCarr doing their thing at this point of the playoffs. Yeah, nobody can catch them, right? I mean, 
And that's not to say that Tampa Bay doesn't have a little bit of that going. Nikita Kucherov, what a friggin' play there on that Ooh. goal with, with, with Andre Palat. But the fact that the Avalanche are able to play this good of a quality of game here in the Stanley Cup Final in Game 1, and we'll see if it continues or if Tampa Bay can shut her down, a lot of that has to do with the fact that we have played. We have had 43 days since their opening Game 1 against the Nashville Predators, and they've only played 15 games in those 43 days. Tampa Bay loves that backdoor tap-in, going back to that Kucherov. My God, play, right? they so look many for that of those. a lot. So, um, you know, let's see how Jared Bednar adjusts to that again. Adjustments, adjustments, adjustments. That's what we're watching for throughout this series. But, hey, 13 down, three, three to, to go. go. How crazy is that? Insanity. They're getting closer and closer. They can almost smell it. But talking to those guys today, talking to Gabe Landeskog, Andre Burkowski, Arturi Lekkinen, who has been 13 games deep in the Stanley Cup playoffs before last year, uh, Darcy Kemper, Miko Rantanen, and who was the last one? Bowen Byram. You wouldn't think that they were three wins from the Stanley Cup final. You wouldn't think they were up one nothing in the Stanley Cup final. The last thing we get to before we get out of here for the evening, how about the crowd tonight? Stanley Cup caliber crowd, I would say. Uh, The bracelets was a nice little touch from the uh, entertainment guys here at Ball Arena. But, um, no, a shout-out to the crowd, despite having a third of the arena missing to media and media members (laughs) that decided not to show up today. Yeah. Um, This is something that I've seen a lot of national media say, and I saw it again today. (coughs) National media that was at the game and people on Twitter we're crediting the the Avalanche's crowd and and Ball Arena and the fans here and what they brought to the game, and it showed on TV as well. And the reason why is because I've seen a few people talk about this. People from Canada is for a Canadian city, and we saw this in Edmonton. When your team is in a moment of you know stress and anxiousness, or or you're kind of biting the tips of your fingernails because it's three three in the third and it's going into overtime, it gets quiet in those ranks. But maybe it's an American thing. Maybe it's a Colorado thing. When things get nervous here, it gets louder. And then you put on all the small things. You bring out the singer, the song, and throw them on the Jumbotron for a little bit just to get everybody pumped up. And it's a different story. It's a different ball game. And it was just high-quality noise today at Ball Arena. From start to finish, not a single moment in this game where it felt dead or, you know, that the fans were uninterested. And this was a Wednesday night game. That's what I was going to say. We're not even to the weekend yet. Wait till everybody comes after a whole day of day drinking and getting lubed up and hanging out with the boys to get ready for the Stanley Cup. Those (laughs) who could afford the tickets, that is. The boys and the girls. The prices. Yeah, and and the girls. Can't neglect the girls. There was plenty of them here. Um, But, yeah, I loved the crowd. Loved the... uh, the atmosphere and just the way the uh, end, the game ended up. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better ending. I know it was a little stressful, but this is what you wanted to see between these two teams, right? Going the distance and really testing each other to earn these victories. You got to earn them, and I still got to go back to what John Cooper said. He said the right team won today, and, and that was the reality. If Tampa Bay ended up taking that game, not just because they were down 3-1, but just because of the way the game went for 62 minutes, that would have been a stolen game by the Tampa Bay Lightning. The Avalanche didn't let it happen. The right team won. They earned the victory, and they need three more to win this thing. Absolutely. Nice work as fans. Let's uh, bring that same energy, if not a, a level higher, if it's even possible for Saturday night. But, uh, yeah, thanks for hanging out with us in this post-game edition of the podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed it. No Leaf Blower guy today. I'm yeah, still looking I, for I him. him. Yeah, I heard him earlier, but uh, we got some better equipment here, so we're not going to hear him as much. But uh, now we're getting the Zamboni guy. It looks like he's giving the ice a nice whirl here. So 
their third layer. Yeah. So they're, they're really well, it's June 15th. It's been about 100 degrees for four days, and they're sitting there like, I didn't know this team plays this long. It's been 21 damn years. Yep. Thanks for riding with us through this uh, fun week. we got plenty more to go, including coverage from Tampa. So, yeah, enjoy this podcast. Enjoy the two days off. That was an interesting little caveat there. And then we'll be back at it Saturday with the post-game podcast to follow. So thanks for hanging out with us here at Hockey Mountain High. Don't forget about our good sponsors at Superbook Sports as well as Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. Superbook Sports. That's that's gonna. It's I I I think Super Sports Book, Super Books, Super Mario. It's just it's a hard thing. I to take say. a pause every time I say it to make sure I don't. Get <laughs> I it heard wrong. it. I heard it there. But thanks for everybody hanging out with us. If you made it this far in the podcast, bless your pretty little heart. Enjoy this win. Let's make hockey for everyone. We out you. <laughs>